0: can alter the course of a life, but so can a decision to disengage or desist from a life of crime. For Robert Wood, the decision to desist came early as he confronted the reality of incarceration and the loss of contact with family and friends. His regrets helped to form him into the scholar and family man that he is today. In the final episode of our March miniseries on criminal justice reform, Robert and I discuss his path to desistance and to a new life. So, Robert, thank you again for coming on and talking to us about your experience and your work with Prison Scholars Fund and your service on the board. And there's just so much that we can get into today. But I wanted to have you talk about your story kind of from the beginning and walk us through your life for a few minutes and how you wound up. Both as a beneficiary of the Prison Scholars Fund, but also your ongoing work with the Scholars Fund. So, just off the top of your head, just talk to us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are.
1: Well, when I was young, I was involved in a lot of bad stuff, right? So, I got into gangs in my early teens and I kind of ran that lifestyle for a long time. And eventually, That involvement led to me catching a a big drug case, being on a big drug indictment, uh, 20 keys of crack cocaine, being indicted and being sentenced to 25 years in federal prison. When I got to federal prison, even before I got to federal prison, I'll just back up a second. Before I got to federal prison, you know, while I was in the federal jail, MCC San Diego fighting my case while I was being processed, it started to dawn on me, especially when I was being sentenced and when I would go to my court hearings and see my kids and nephews and nieces in the courtroom. I'm going to be going away from these guys for a very long time. And it's my fault. And so I started to think about what I could do different. I knew two things had to change. One of them was, was my relationship with the creator. I had to reintroject that into my life. And the other big one was education. I needed to get some education so I would be able to get out and do things in a legal manner and still be able to support myself and do the things I needed to do and put myself in a position to never leave my family again. And so when I got sentenced to 25 years, I got to a prison called Terminal Island in California. And when I got to Terminal Island, I had to take a mandatory drug class. Anybody with drug has a drug case has to take. And while I was taking that class, I asked the psych one day after class. You know, I said, I'm doing 25 years. What advice would you give to me to just make this go a little bit easier, to make this more doable? And she said, I'll tell you the advice I give to you. Look to the future and make sure that you continuously watch the news so that you know that you're a part of the world and that you'll be back out there one day. And you're going to be involved in that world and you're going to make some difference. I said, "Uh, anything else? She said, that's the main thing. Just kind of know that you're going to get back out in the world. You need to fit into the world. You need to fit into normal society, not any negative subculture you might have been a part of. And so I was like, okay. And so I took that in mind. And as soon as I got to Terminal Island, I started, I went to the education department. Just upon talking to the people to provide proof of my high school diploma, the lady really liked the way I talked. uh, one of the teachers in the education department, and she was like, you know what, we could use you as a tutor. Once you get your high school diploma in, if you want a job in the education department, you could be a tutor. I said, okay, cool. So I ended up getting a different job, but I ended up becoming a volunteer tutor. And so I started tutoring people, and I wasn't only tutoring high school students, people who were still, you know, doing high school work, but there were also people who were going to college that I would tutor on math and different things. I wasn't in college yet. And so, fast forward, I get to Lompoc, California, because they transferred me after a few months. They changed the custody level of the institution I was in. I get to Lompoc, California, to the federal penitentiary up there. And I, I run into a friend of a friend, and he helps me obtain a job working in Unicorn Industries, which is the factory in there. Pays the best money, and Unicorn Industries also has a scholarship program in the federal prison system. So, along with their scholarship program to pay for my book, the California Board of Governors grant to pay for the education, to pay to go to the community college, get my associate's degree, I'm able to get my associate's degree. Now, during the time I'm getting my associate's degree, I'm tutoring people up there too. I'm talking to a lot of people about the benefits of education and talking them into taking advantage of the scholarship program. And so the librarian, I develop a relationship with her as far as her sending people to me that needs help. And the people in Unicorn, the lady that does the scholarship program, she's encouraging me to talk to other people about it. So I do it. You know, I want to help people out. All these different people are sending people to talk to me about college and about what it takes to to go to college. And in prison, it's a heavy gang culture, but people from every gang, every race, whatever, it didn't matter are sending their young people to me and saying, man, talk to this guy, talk to my little homie and tell him about college. And so when they say that little homie, that means whatever gang, race, clique, whatever they're from, but it didn't matter. It it, it got to the point where it didn't matter. If you were there and you wanted to know about school, they would send you to me and I'd talk to you and explain the ins and outs of it. I put together something up there where we would all meet in the library uh, before a semester and trade books. You know, I put together like an unofficial book trading day so that people who didn't have books could go. And so it made it into like a book sharing environment in there. So, but when I got ready to do, when I finished my associate's degree, there was a lady named Miss Cepeda. She was the uh, librarian there. What did
2: you do your associate's degree
0: in? I'm sorry.
1: I did my associate's degree in general studies and then later on. I came back because I had an interruption, which we'll go about uh, yeah. in a minute. No, no, not for me. I'm saying we, I had an mm-hmm. interruption in the education because the prison scholar fund, it got interrupted momentarily. Uh, I, I started working on my bachelor's degree. So I came back and did another associate's in sociology. So I did my in general studies, emphasis in business. So I got what you call a general business certificate from the college. And then I got uh, associates of arts in general studies.
2: In so, sociology.
1: Uh, initially, just in general. Study, oh, I, I see. I sociology. see what
2: you're saying. OK, so it was business. Yeah. It was general studies. And then you went on to sociology after that.
1: I went on to sociology kind of later on in the story. Mm. It's funny because I was working on my bachelor's degree. And because I had to take a break because of uh, financial disability. <laughs> and then I went ahead because it was free to attend you know, California, they have a Board of Governors grant, so it's free to attend a community college. So I just went back to the community college for a while and did the extra classes I needed to pick up a sociology degree.
2: Can I can I interrupt? Because I, I want to go back to, and I want to hear all of this, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But I want to go back to... That moment when you said, you know, I, I I'm in the courtroom, I see my family in front of me. I know that I'm going away for a long time, that it's my fault. And that somehow that was a key moment in terms of shifting your your thinking. Tell me more about that. What was going through? Was that actually a moment, or was that like the moment at which a seed got planted that you that later sprouted what what, what was, or was or had other seeds been planted that kind of bore fruit in that moment what was it
1: well a, a lot of things came back to bear later on but in that moment what it was was just seeing my family my mom was getting up in AIDS accepting the fact that because she was already going through some health issues when I left that doing this much time I may not see her on the streets again i may not see her as a free man again i'll Mm -hmm. see her again but it may not be as a free man it may be she may die while i'm in custody so i had to accept that i'm looking at the kids i'm like these guys are going to be grown when i get out all these things are going through my mind Mm -hmm. all of them Mm -hmm. and these are the things that made me say you know what i've got to change something
2: Mm -hmm.
1: i've got to change something
2: you're a great man i think robert what is it about you as compared to the thousands of other people in prison who don't have, who, who go through their entire time in prison without having that moment? Um, why, uh, why do you think you were different?
1: Well, I think um, my whole life, people have told me, you can do better. You're going to do great things. I, I had a mom that, you know, thought I would be a president one day. When when I was from head start, not from kindergarten or preschool, but from head start till eighth grade, I went to a private school, Catholic school in Southeast San Diego. And the nuns would always tell me I was special. And so there were people always planting these positive seeds in my mind about myself. But I was from a different, I was from an environment that and I'm in a family of nine people, so I'm one of nine kids. So it's a big, huge family, and I'm in an environment where it's just, it's just things are different. I'm in that 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 hood environment. I'm growing up in that environment, and but people are steadily giving me positive stuff. Even when I got the first time I went to prison, the judge he's a judge now. His dad's a senator, and he became a judge now. But he was a prosecutor then, and he told me, "Man, what are you doing? You could have so much of a better life." And so all these thoughts come back to you when you have this moment where you're getting all this time, like there's things I could could have did and could still do. And in the moment that I'm in the court, this is prior to sentencing, I'm just looking around at my family and I'm like, man, I'm leaving these guys because of the life i chose to live. I'm leaving these guys and it's my fault. These kids are going to grow up without me and it's my own doing. I can't hold anybody else accountable for it and so since I did this it's up to me to turn it around it's up to me to do what it takes to change it and for me what it takes to change it is aligning my life back with with, with the creator getting back into my bible and you know getting back right spiritually and then also education and so that's what I set out to do you know I said you know what I'm going to I'm going to educate myself it's going to make a difference for me And that was what came to me in that very moment. But those were the type of thoughts that were going through my head. All the bad things I did, all the good things I could have did.
2: Are there a lot of people in prison in your experience who have a hunger for education?
1: You would be surprised. There are people who are absolutely starved to get educated. Now, some people want education so that they can go into business for themselves. They can become entrepreneurs. Some people want education for specific careers. Some people want vocational education. But I'll tell you the number one thing that people are looking to do when they're in there, I would say well over 50% of the population claim to want to get some type of education. And because of financial constraints, some people don't. But I'd say about out of that, with 50% claiming to want to do something, about 10% to 15% of the prison population will act on getting education in some manner they may not be in the library taking classes they may be doing it by themselves. they may be doing it through studying through books that they're getting sent in they may be doing it for vocational programs but everybody is in there trying to learn something you see uh teams of guys in the library studying uh bitcoin trading stock trading you see people studying real estate together i mean it is really like a university when you're in a federal institution these guys are studying hard. And with their studying, most of them, they're trying to figure out how to make some money. And some of us are trying to also figure out, in addition to getting out and making some money, what can we do? What can we give back to society? How can we make amends for the life that we've led thus far? And so, yeah, there's, there's a hunger for education for a variety of reasons, but the hunger is there. Okay, now
2: proceed with the story that you were telling about you got a uh, GED you got an associate well one associates in business you got another associates in general studies
1: um I didn't get a GED I oh you didn't high okay.
2: school oh you graduated okay yeah, I graduated Sorry.
1: high school on time I, I didn't get a GED I can't okay. get a high school diploma that's mm-hmm. why I was able to start tutoring immediately because you know I can yeah. verify the diploma I I tutored G, people who were getting their GED. I see.
2: Okay, so you're tutoring uh, people with GD, which is another interesting facet of this. I mean, uh, a number of people that I've talked to who have a similar experience, you know, some of the real success and I would say most of the real success cases seem to have uh, kind of an other directed element, you know, like they're thinking about not just about their own situation, their own life, their own needs, but they're also even while they're in prison like Dirk. You know, they start thinking about how can I help other people? You know, that seems to be really important in terms of uh, making a lasting change. And if that resonates with you.
1: You know what? It It was really important to me. And the reason giving back was so important to me is because it was planted in my mind in sentencing. I got sentenced by Judge M.J. Lorenz, right? M.J. Lorenz. And when I got sentenced to the 25 years, he told me, he said, you know, Mr. Wood, you had a, you know, you were, you were starting a magazine, you were doing some things. A lot of people are here for you. You seem like a very intelligent young man. He said, I hope while you're in there, you can help a lot of other people. He said, you can maybe tutor people and, and talk to people. He said, could you talk well? He said, and also you can go to college. And then when you get out, you'll be ready to re-enter society and make a difference. And, you know, the part he said about reentering society, making a difference, appealed to me because I said because of my negative activities, I need to kind of balance that out by really getting out and doing some positive things. But when I went inside, the part he said about helping people in there, it just, it kind of came naturally. It was like people would come ask for help and I would give it. And then as soon as I would talk to anybody in the education department, they would ask me, you know, when I got to Lompoc, when I got to Terminal Island you know, help some of these guys out, give back. And I I was more than willing to. When I got to Allenwood, Pennsylvania, same thing happened. People in the education department, the uh, staff members called me in there. Can you teach a couple classes? And so I was always teaching classes while I was incarcerated and still always helping people. And and, um, Lumpop, when I I worked my way down to the low, when I was at the low in Lompoc, they actually had it so that when you came in, like new arrivals came in, I would meet them in the orientation. I would come in orientation, be able to leave my job. I was working in Unicor. I'd be able to leave the factory I worked in. The education lady would call me on a call out, and I would come to the orientation, and I would talk to people about the opportunities they had for education, vocational training, and just to tighten their mind up on their own if they wanted to. And so I was always trying to do something to help other people while I was in there because it just, to be honest, it feels good to, to help other people and know that you can make a difference for them.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it, it uh, you're <laughs> helping others, uh, you know, is, a turns out to be a way of helping yourself. Um, yeah. you know, um and that's, that's a, uh, that's a really important insight. Um, okay. So you, it sounds like you're getting moved around a lot. You started San Diego, you moved to a different facility, then you moved uh, all the way to Pennsylvania. Was that what you said?
1: Yeah, well, I went from San Diego MCC fighting the case, then I got transferred to San Bernardino County Jail to a weight transport within the federal to weight transport to the actual federal prison system. This is a county jail where they use as a whole another federal holding facility. So I got went there for a couple months, about three or four months, and then from there I went to Terminal Island. And when I got to Terminal Island, it was a medium security institution. But it was about to turn into a low security institution in the next few months. And so about three or four months after I got to Terminal Island, they sent me to a high security institution the United States penitentiary in Lompoc, California, which was on the the verge in the next year of transitioning to a medium security institution. So security level had a lot to do with it. So I stayed in Lompoc, California at what started off as a U.S. penitentiary and ended up being a medium security institution for about six years. Mm-hmm. And then I went to another institution, that part of lumpo California, which is their low security institution. And I was there for about another seven years or so. Mm-hmm. And they had a big riot. I went to the shoe. I got found not guilty of the riot, but they decided to uh, participate in the riot, but they decided to ship me anyhow so they shipped me to Allenwood Pennsylvania mm. and when they ship me to Allen Pennsylvania that was where I ended up leaving from I went there the first something called the First Step Act came through it was a law that passed that made crack yeah outer took some of the disparity out of it. Right now I'm working with um with Dream Court Justice on a campaign to get the Equal Act passed to take all the disparity out of it. But when that law passed then my sentence went from 25 years to 20 years, and I was able to go to MCC to have you know to litigate the case. And when we won that litigation with Judge James Lorenz, the same one who had inspired me with his words about helping other people and helping myself and becoming a productive citizen, I had to go down there and be resentenced by him. You know, here having your case, he granted it, and that knocked five years off my sentence. Along with that, along with some other legislation that had passed, had the effect of knocking five, four years off my sins. And I, I went home from there. So and when did you get out then? September of 2019. Okay. And then the pandemic hit. Wow.
2: Okay. So when did you first encounter the Prison Scholars Fund?
1: I encountered the Prison Scholars Fund um, right after I finished my associate's degree. And I went to the library in Longfolk and was talking to Miss Cepeda, and she was asking me what I was going to do, because I had been tutoring people, taking classes. You know, I got inducted into an a invitation-only National Honor Society called Alpha Sigma Lambda. So he gave me that induction during My graduation was really cool. And so she was like, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, now I'm going to kind of, you know, do some, some self-learning and everything else. I said, there's not really a lot I can do now. that." I said, I can't afford to do a bachelor's degree, so I'll probably work on that when I get out. And she's like, what do you mean you can't afford to do a bachelor's degree? I said, I don't have the money. We don't make that much over here at Unicorn. Yeah. I don't have a lot of money left on the streets. I've been you know, I've been down for some years now. And she was like, well, you can get a scholarship. I said, uh. She said, yeah, you can get a scholarship. You, you, you have the grades, you, you have the service, you know. Apply for some scholarships. So we applied for scholarship after scholarship after scholarship. She would be in the library. She'd print different stuff out from the computer and, here, try this one or try that one. You know, she'd give me the addresses. Try this, try that. And I'd be sending in applications to them and they would always hardly, most of them didn't even write back. When they wrote back, the letters always started off, we're sorry to inform you. And so that's what I got. Either we're sorry to inform you, I didn't even get written back to. And finally, I came in the library. She was really happy. And I said, oh, what happened for you today, Mr. Payton? She said, it's what happened for you. And I'm like, what's that? And she said, I found somebody who's going to probably give you a scholarship. I said, yeah, right. What we'll makes you think so. <laughs> she said, well, here, check this out. And she gives me information on the Prison Scholar Fund. She said, with a name like the Prison Scholar Fund, if they won't fund you, i give up. (laughs) And I'm like, we went through about 100 attempts, it felt like. And so when I wrote the Prison Scholar Fund, everything was different. I wrote to the Prison Scholar Fund. Less than a week goes by, get something back saying, here's an application. We'd like you to fill this out. Tell us what you need. Tell us what class you want to take, what book. We do one class at a time, but we got you. You know, if you're interested, if you pass our application process, we got you. So I wrote them. I wrote them a poem called uh, What is the Universe? It's on the Prison Scholars website right now. And that was based on, they had a couple different questions you could answer. And that was one of the ones you could dig into is what is the universe? So I wrote that. I, I told them about my volunteer service within the institution. And I told them about me being inducted into a National Honor Society. And they wrote me back and they said, we're we'll granting a scholarship. And because I had already sent them a school I wanted to go to it was and put the cost of the books, I just did the application and they started paying for it a course at a time. I started taking them a course at a time. And what really impressed me when I found out about the Scholar, Prison Scholar Fund, when I was reading the material and I found out that dirt the executive, then executive director, now CEO of the Prison Scholar Fund, was somebody who was incarcerated himself. I was impressed. I said, here's a man who's incarcerated himself. So he's going through situations just like I am. He's incarcerated. He's in prison. And he's helping pay for other people's college. I, I was really, really impressed. I like their mission. I like their model. And it's just as soon as I got the, the first grant, I was like, if I get an opportunity in the future, I'm going to get involved. You know, and so from from there, I I just I went through. I did school. Then so when where, they ran it, the, where,
2: where were you going to school, and how did that process work?
1: I was going through um, Adam State University in Alamosa, Colorado. It was print based. Uh, they have print based education programs that go all the way up to the master's degree level. Back then, they were Adam State College, but since then, they've been uh, designated Adam State University. Okay. And they had really good print-based programs, uh, teachers that you could call to get help in most instances. And, you know, you wouldn't call them a lot, but you could call on them or or write them and they would explain stuff to you. So it was, it was pretty good. And that's the thing I liked about doing distance learning is you really build up those critical thinking skills because a lot of stuff, because it's going to take the time to write a letter or to set up a phone call with staff to call their staff member, you know, email might not get answered time. So you're going to be sitting there thinking about what it is that you're doing. And so it was really, it was really a, a good experience. I ended up doing a double bachelor's of science degree in small business management and marketing and graduating, waiting magna cum laude. And, but in the midst of doing that, the Prison Scholar Fund had, had shut down for a minute. And when they did, that's when I did my associates of arts and sociology because I said, well, I need to keep my mind moving. And so I went ahead and went back to Coastline Community College, did an associates of arts, finished, did the work. you know, already had some of the work done, did the rest of the work to get associates of arts and sociology, did that. And then as soon as the Prison Scholar Fund was back open, I, I had met uh, a friend named Tanya. And she helped me pay for some classes and the Prisons College Fund came back and <laughs> did the cleanup That sent me home. And I was able to uh, graduate uh, Magna Cum Laude with a double bachelor of science and small business management and marketing. Right before our graduation ceremony is when I went to the SHU segregated housing unit. For those that don't know, that's 23 hours lockdown. You're in a cell that has toilet, stool, shower and everything in it. You leave for about an hour a day just five days a week to, or six days a week to go to a rec yard that's about the size of maybe three or four cells. You're in the fence by yourself. And so I was in there for almost uh, right around 10 months. And when I got out and went to Allenwood, Pennsylvania, the whole time I was in there, I'm writing the dirt. I'm writing um tweets and some blog stories for the Prison Scholar Fund. Because during that, during the time when they started building back up, I became the first social media advisor for the Prison Scholar Fund and then their senior social media advisor. So I was writing a lot of uh, blog stories and tweets and everything. And then when I went to Allenwood, Pennsylvania, I was able to begin my MBA degree with the help of the Prison Scholar Fund. And so that was really cool. It took my first couple classes there. And so Prison Scholar Fund has really did a lot. Big shout out to to Dirk Van Velsen for allowing me to have a a nice level of involvement in the organization that's done so much for me. It's just been dynamic. They even had a uh, mentoring program. I was a part of that for a moment. That was cool. You know, they give you somebody who's out there in the field that you can kind of talk to and relate to. And right now they even have something where they have people learning to code right now. They have a coding program right now. So it's just Being a part of Prison Scholar Fund is really tremendous, and of course, I, I'm out here. I I continue to uh, seek education. I went through some physical challenges, but now that those are over, I'm back in pursuit of my MBA degree. So I'm finished going going back to school and finishing up my MBA. I just started taking courses. Can are you living in California now? Yeah, San Diego, California.
2: Okay, so you went back to your family, and
1: um... yeah, I went back to my family and everything, but then. I decided for the flexibility of it, I'm no longer in a print-based program. I'm in the online MBA program, and I'm going ahead and finishing up with Adam State University. I'm going to okay. up with them. For your MBA. That's they have cool. an online program, too, yeah. And so I'm still seeking education. You know, I had the opportunity to, you know, once I once I got through my physical challenges, do I want to just go back to work? Immediately, do I want to start working, or do I want to work part-time, which I took on some part-time work, and then I'm part-time MBA student right now.
2: Mm-hmm. And where are you working?
1: Uh, I'm working with uh, an organization called Sapphire Outreach. It's a nonprofit organization, and I'm part of what you call their violence interruption team. And what we do is we go out to the community. Most of us are uh, ex-gang members or whatever, so we know people in these, organiz- in, in these communities. And we go out and talk to people when things happen. We'll go to the hospital and talk to people at the hospital bed. What we try to do is we try to uh, stop the incidences of uh, gang and gun violence in San Diego County. And so that's what we work to do within that organization.
2: Yeah, that's a, a strategy that was developed in Chicago, and I think it's really now spread all over the country, of sort of treating violence as a almost as a public health um, issue in terms of it, violence spreads like a virus. You know, it, you get one case, somebody gets hurt or killed, and uh, and then all of a sudden it just kind of blows up.
1: Yeah, you. then you have the revenge and all that.
2: Yeah, stuff. they're breaking those revenge cycles. That's great.
1: And so that um, we're, working, we're working to to, to quell those uh, cycles of violence. So I'm working with them part-time. And then uh, at different times, I have paid speaking engagements. And people have paid me since I've been out. I, 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 I taught screenwriting for 15 years while I was incarcerated. So a couple of people have paid me to come through and just polish up their screenplays. And right now, I'm working with somebody to try to uh, to to write a movie that they're interested in producing. So that's kind of what I've been doing since I've been home.
2: Well, that's very exciting. Well, really appreciate your time, Robert. This has been great. Good to get a chance to talk with you, and learn a little bit about your your story. Thanks for your time, man.
1: Okay, thank you. I'm I'm really excited. I'm, I'm happy to do it. It's great to, to finally get to interact with you. This almost reaches the level of an in-person meeting. I appreciate That's it.
2: right. That's right. As close as we're going to get for now. Yeah, for the moment. Take okay. care of yourself. We'll talk soon. All right. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Hardly Working. I'm your host, Brent Orrell, and I hope you tune in next time to learn more about the state of workforce development in America. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. Let us know at vocation at AEI.org if there are any topics you'd like us to cover. As always, we hope you find the job that fits so well, it feels like you're hardly working.